0: series in Philippians and we'll be Philippians 4:10 to 20 page 1827 in the blue bibles so Philippians 4:10 to 20 If you found it, I'd like to pray before we read it. Lord, I thank you so much that you are the author of your word. Lord, I pray by your Holy Spirit that you would open our ears and our hearts to hear and respond to your word. I pray that you would bless the reading of your word, the preaching of your word. Lord, this is your work. And we pray that you would do a mighty work in us and among us, teaching us to learn to trust you more. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so Philippians 4, starting at verse 10. I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. "'referring to Christ, who gives me strength. "'Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. "'Moreover, as you Philippians know, "'in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, "'when I set out from Macedonia, "'not one church shared with me "'in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. "'For even when I was in Thessalonica, "'you sent aid more than once when I was in need.' Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Aphrodite the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet All your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. This is God's word for us this morning, and it's a word that helps us trust him and learn to trust him more. How many of you have ever had a meltdown about something when things didn't go the way you expected? Well, I ran into somebody that was having a meltdown this week in the grocery store. It was an acquaintance, and I happened to run into the store for something, and they're remodeling this particular grocery store, and everything has changed locations, and there um, are new little instruction sheets to tell you in which aisle you find what. But how many of you know it's frustrating when you want to go run in and get something and it isn't right where you used to find it? Well, this particular mother of five was having a meltdown. And I saw her walking with the manager of the store and I thought, oh, I wonder if that's her brother or something. You know? And they just looked kind of intense in conversation and I thought, I better not go pop up and say hi right now. Well, as Providence would have it, we ended up in the same checkout lane. And so she was still so discombobulated that she wasn't even paying attention to anybody around. And so I said, hey, so-and-so. And anyway, and she's like, oh, I'm having a meltdown right now. And I'm like, well, what's your meltdown about? And she's like, they aren't carrying the products that I always buy, and it's not where I usually find it. And uh, I'd like to get together, and how about we get together this fall when I calm down? (laughs) Well, you know, she was concerned about, really, will I have what I need? And it may not be something as maybe seemingly minor as the groceries or the certain product But at some core level, we all at different times encounter situations that make us wonder, will I have what I need? Maybe you ran into some tires that needed to be replaced and you don't have the funds for it. Or maybe the situation is that you lost your job or you have a health encounter that all of a sudden you weren't expecting. Um, Many of us have different things at different times that can tempt us towards a meltdown. In life's unsettling times, God offers us peace of mind. And last week, I read, unfortunately I didn't get to hear Pastor Jaleesa's sermon, but I read her sermon from last week where she talked about and the peace of God. We bring all of our prayers and petitions with thanksgiving to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ. And she explained how that God's peace sets up a guard, just like the Roman Empire would set up a guard around the city. You remember this from her sermon? And it goes through and it looks for any um, threats on the inside of the city, any lies or anything like that that would take away our peace, and then sets up a guard at the gates and protects with God protects with his life himself anything that would come against us so that he sets up a guard of peace around us when we pray and that God's peace transcends, and she said, it rises up above and conquers all of our own understanding, all of our what-ifs and our worries and our concerns. The Lord offers us this kind of peace. And so Paul is going on and starting to describe how that we can have contentment in every possible circumstance. Verse 11 says, I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstance. Paul had encountered many circumstances in his life. Remember, he talked about beatings and shipwrecks. You remember his life story. There have been many, many hard and unusual and unexpected circumstances that had come up. And Paul's saying, I've learned to be content In all circumstances. What does that word content really mean? Well, one definition is a state of being mentally and emotionally satisfied with things as they are or a peace of mind. And in the Greek, it means to be independent of external circumstances, to be strong enough mentally and physically, to need no aid or support. So, strong enough to combat the lies that try to take us hostage with anxiety, going back to last week's sermon. So, to be content means to be able to live outside of your circumstances or above or beyond your circumstances. And he says, I've learned to be content when there's lean times and when there's abundant times. So, those times when you're in want, he learned to be patient and to trust God in the suffering, Those times when there was abundance in his life, he learned humility. He learned self-control, dependence on God for guidance then because how often is it that when things go well, we start to forget to rely on God and ask him and so learn dependence and even the joy of giving when there's this abundance. And so Paul teaches and he also models in his life for them contentment. And he says this, I have learned to be content, verse 11. And then in verse 12, I have learned the secret of being content. And so he learned it. That means it didn't come automatically. It's not our nature to be content, but he learned to be content. And he says he does this through Christ who gives him strength, verse 13. And so the secret of being content is learning to lean on Jesus who is our source of strength. Anna, when you are tempted to be anxious, God's inviting you to lean on Jesus, to lean on him. He is the source of strength. The word for contentment was a word play that Paul, and we wouldn't have any way of knowing this because we aren't living in that culture, but the Stoic culture, the highest ideal was to be content, which might be defined as self-sufficient. And the Greek philosophy, the ideal was possessing all things and needing nothing. That was their highest ideal in the Greek culture. If I own it all, if I have it all, I'm content. Well, what Paul is saying, he's using a very different way of saying, I've learned to be content. He's saying, I've learned to be dependent, whereas the Stoics were being independent. The Stoics couldn't handle hardship. They wanted luxury. They wanted food, clothing, comfort. As Christians, we encounter hardship or abundance. But Paul says, really, either one is irrelevant in the grand scheme of things, of knowing Christ. That Christ and things eternal are so much more important even than that that's temporary. And so Paul's using the contentment to mean dependence on Jesus who is our Prince of Peace. We can learn to be content by directing our mind to think on things that are noble and right and pure and lovely and praiseworthy. If anything is excellent or admirable, think about these things. Remember that from last week? And so the God of Peace will be with you. So we direct our thoughts to the one who gives us peace. We learn to be content. So when we're lonely, can we be content? The answer is yes. Direct your thoughts toward Jesus, the one who's with you. When we're facing physical limitations, can we be content? Yes, because someday we have this hope of these glorified bodies like Jesus. And so we know this is temporary. Whatever he allows us to encounter is temporary in this grand scheme of things. When we're loaded with opportunities and money, can we be content? Because don't you know that that can be a wheel that people just get going on? You know, you've got something and then you want something else, and, you know, that leads to just try a remodel in one room, or you're just going to do one thing, and how it leads to something else, something else, something else, right? Right? Can we be content? And Paul says, yes, direct your mind to the truth and recognize that God has a kingdom purpose and keep in line with God's kingdom purpose. Paul is strong, but that strength is God's grace working through him. It's not his own strength mustered up. So Friday night, Dane and I had the opportunity to meet with a number of pastors and spouses for a little grill-out. Um, I don't know, there were maybe 10, 12 of us, I don't know, around um, from classes north. And so one of the pastors had been on sabbatical. It wasn't Pastor Dave, a different pastor, had been on sabbatical. And so we were talking about it, and he said, you know, it's really kind of unsettling when you lose your normal rhythm in life. Um, If, you know, he said... Many of us, if we lose our jobs, it's our source of identity. And he said, as soon as I went on sabbatical, I felt like I was ready to, maybe at the grocery store, analogy of a meltdown, like, well, who am I and what do I do? Because I always pastor and I pray and I prepare sermons and I have this time and I don't know who I am or what I do because, you know, my value has been kind of tied up in this. And anyway... He was talking about when a change happens, how often it is that it's very unsettling for us. And at the end of that night, he ended up saying, what I've really come down to know, in the, making it really simple, he said, I'm a beloved child of God, and it's just that simple. And he said, it's taken me my time of sabbatical to just settle in to knowing that I'm not a human doing, but I'm a human being, and I'm a loved child of God. And I think for many of us, I don't know what you face, but I'm having my own little unsettling time right now. Uh, That temptation for a meltdown, I kind of get a lump in my throat about every few hours as I think about our son, now married, moving out of state. And my role has been his mother. And um, what does it mean that he's moving out of state and doesn't need the same kind of mothering, that I've provided all these years. And so, what a beautiful thing that God gave me this passage to reflect on that I've learned to be content in all circumstances, right? And so, this week, it's been the Lord's message has been working on me. Gina, you can be content. You can be t- content even though you're going to be empty nesters. And so, I'm starting to feel optimistic that God's got new things on the horizon. But it takes some um, redirecting of my thoughts because that temptation to start wanting to kind of grieve, or well, and it's grieving is okay, but we need to be able to trust, just to learn to trust Jesus more. Now that's my story, but I don't know what you face. But I want to assure you that whatever you face today, that you can learn to be content because you're a beloved child of the Lord. And so if you're lonely, the Lord loves you and he's with you. If your future is looking uncertain and you're scared, you can learn to be content because there is hope. There is this joy, this settled optimism. Remember what joy is in this whole um, book of Philippians was about joy. This settled sense, state of mind of optimism as we look to the future. Because we have a secure future in Jesus. You're a beloved child of God. And it's just that simple. Now, one other thing that he, pa- he talks about in this passage is really about how the, during these unsettling times, God may be providing opportunities for us to support one another. And so in his unsettling time as Paul was sitting in jail, the church in Philippi was used by God to support Paul. Remember, he's sitting there. They don't provide food or clothing in that jail. So anything, anything that he needed for life was going to have to come in from the outside. Their partnership, the church in Philippi and Paul, their partnership was grounded in the gospel. Jesus was the glue that cemented them together. Now, they didn't have an opportunity for a while to su- express their concern for Paul. And that opportunity, that word opportunity, is derived from the same root word as kairos time. So there wasn't a pregnant moment. There wasn't a God-appointed time yet for a season for them to express their concern, but then all of a sudden there was this opportunity. And so God may be supplying us with an opportunity, an opportune time to support one another. The time comes. And then we move into action. Our affection moves into action. Sharing with other Christians, he says, is actually a spiritual act of worship. Have you ever thought about that? That when we love each other and share and support each other, that it's a spiritual act. We're actually doing it unto the Lord. And so sharing is much more than caring. Christians have a radical commitment To one another because we're one body. Think about that. Your arm and your leg and your knee, they all work together. If one part hurts, we all hurt, we support, we limp, we carry extra weight on one side. If the other side, well, we're that as the body of Christ. And so when Anna and Tommy are going through something, then how do we rally around them? When Betty is going through something with her sister, how do we rally around Betty? How do we do this? They're giving in very practical ways. They were giving financial gifts. They sent actually a person, remember, to travel for six months to go provide the support. And their giving was a sign of their increased faith in God. Because, as Pastor Jaleesa mentioned last week, they are actually an impoverished church. They actually weren't a wealthy church that was giving out of the excess. They were an impoverished church. They had given multiple times. And when they're undergoing the same kind of oppression as Paul was, religious persecution, there probably were sanctions against them. It may have been difficult for them to get jobs. You know how that works. When there's you know, some, some part of society that's being excluded, often there's sanctions that's up against them. So it was a huge step of faith. For them to reach out, and that's what delights Paul. Is that he sees? I mean, beyond the fact that yes, they did provide for him, but he was content even if he didn't get the provision because he was trusting the Lord. But he was delighted and rejoicing because he saw that their faith was growing, and it was an indication of their spiritual health. And so, that idea of um, their fragrant, their offering, their gift was a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice. Those are Old Testament terms talking about how the, um, it's that image of how the, the people would bring sacrifices to the Lord. Remember burnt offerings and sacrifices? And he's saying, when you gave financially to me, this was as a beautiful gift to the Lord as any of those Old Testament, um, sacrifices. Friendship, the first sign of friendship in that culture was giving and receiving of things. So that you were... um, This wasn't benevolence, like helping somebody who was really down and out, but actually more of a lateral, like we're on equal terms, we're giving and receiving. And so like, okay, I'll go take you out for lunch and I'll flip the bill next time you'll get the bill, kind of, you know, that kind of thing. But in Christ, we recognize that all the assets... Anything that we have came from the Lord, and it's unto the Lord eventually. And so we're thinking king and kingdom in every interaction that we have. And Paul says, my God will meet all your needs. He doesn't say all your wants, but all your needs, according to Christ Jesus. And so it's not a guarantee. It's not a prosperity gospel. It's not saying we might not go through hard times. But anything that you need that's in the kingdom purpose realm of life and God's good plan and his sovereignty your needs are going to be met if you need to continue in life because God has a kingdom purpose for you then you're going to have the health or you're going to have the material needs to be able to be sustained if it's your time to go well Paul said you know for me to live is Christ but to die is gain and so keeping that eternal perspective Paul wanted them to be able to give because it was going to be credited to their account. And this isn't just like a one-time deposit, but it's like the idea of compounding interest. When they gave, the Lord would just keep blessing and blessing them because it was like compounding interest. And so as we give and receive, we're, Lori, if you had a need and I give, and the Lord sees that, and somehow he's going to send back blessing and blessing upon my life, as you give to me, then the Lord's going to give compounding blessing upon blessing. Don't know what those blessings are going to be, but it's going to be something that you need and something that you benefit from. And so we need opportunities. The Lord gives us opportunities to express our faith in him by being able to share and support and love one another. And so maybe there's an opportunity in time For us to give money, or to send workers, or to give somebody our car, or to send supplies for ministry. I don't know what those things are, but God gives us opportunities to sow into each other's lives and to encourage each other. And it shows that we're trusting him. And so every time that we put money in the offering, we're supporting the ministry of this church. Just like they would support the ministry of their, uh, you know, how the women and Other disciples follow Jesus and help support the ministry. We're giving tithes, our 10%, into the offering. We also do special offerings, like for the other way just recently, for Bridge Street, for other ministries. What we're doing is like what the church in Philippi did for Paul. We're trusting and trying to bless other ministries because we see God at work in them. Even while we know that half of our budget comes from outside resources, that we can't make our budget, but we're saying we trust God and we want to encourage you to give. We also support urban missionaries. I don't know how many of you know this, but Mark and Andrew are urban missionaries. Their funds, their living expenses don't come through our budget. They fundraise. And so there's opportune times and opportunities for us to help them. And right now, the Sissons, actually, it's an opportune time. And I want to call our church to prayer and to um, consider how we might be able to help support. Right now, they have um, $15,000, right? Let me just look at this $15,000 that they need to raise by the end of the year. And um, fundraising is not an easy thing, sometimes it's a little challenging. And also, when you've got another baby on the way, and you know how when your sleepless nights hit, so this fall isn't going to be the greatest time for them to fundraise. And so how might the Lord call us to give or share our network? Do we know other people that might want to help fund um, the Sissons in their ministry? This is just one way, but how do, how do we look for these opportune times? It seems like in prayer, Alita and Kathleen Maybe it's an opportune time for some of us to make a phone call or send a card that way. Or for Betty, that we pray as she goes to her sisters in the visit. Anna, I don't know. Maybe you need a meal this week. I don't know what's going You know, what is that opportune time that maybe the Lord is calling us? Even the youth, as we hear about this amazing trip that they had. But is there a need for more youth workers for the fall? You know, are those those opportune times that we can sow into and share and give of our time, our talents, or our treasures? And the Lord makes this promise to those of us who, who give in this way. He says, and my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory. And in the Greek, all your needs comes first. So in that sentence, it says, all your needs, my God will meet. All your needs. Um What need is left out when it's including all? All, any, every need that you have, the Lord's going to meet them, and he's going to meet them in the person and the glory of Jesus Christ himself. It's a promise to us. And this thought, true theology is doxology. I love things that rhyme. I love things that have a beat. True theology is doxology. Any tr- Anything that's true about your thoughts and your beliefs about God is going to end up in doxology, which means praise. And so what Paul does is as he starts thinking about what he's telling them, friends, when you share, God credits it to your account. He keeps giving and giving, and um, my God is going to meet all your needs, nay, every need you have. And then when he starts thinking about who Jesus is and what he's done for us, that we will never be alone, that our sins are forgiven, that we have the hope of eternity, that we aren't left alone, that the Holy Spirit has been sent. And when he starts thinking about the goodness of God and how that we don't have to wait for eternity, but eternal life starts now and that he's with us, he just turns to start praising the. Father and praising him for his glory and his goodness, and he just turns his heart once more to the one who he's always. Paul is so single-minded, focused on Jesus Christ. He says, when other people are preaching, he says the important thing is that in every way, whether true or false motives, Christ is preached. For me to live as Christ and to die is gain. He is so focused on Jesus. And he just turns and he thinks, how good is our God? And he says, praise, praise, praise. He says, and my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever And ever, and ever, amen. And Paul was the one who said, I want to say five intelligible words in the church. And I'm saying, friends, that as I prayed about this, I think he was singing and praising in tongues the whole time he was writing this. Just absolutely running out of adjectives about how good God is. Christ is enough. We need focus We need to have some equilibrium when things get in disequilibrium in our lives. We need peace of mind, love, and support. And that is all found in the person of Jesus and his people here on earth. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for who you are. We thank you that you are enough and that you meet all of our needs in Christ. Lord, thank you for this hope. Thank you for this truth. And would you teach us? Would you... Help us to learn how to be content in any and every circumstance, knowing that you watch us, that you're with us, and that you will provide for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.